Our scripture this morning comes from John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. We'll begin in verse 31 and go through verse 35. Um, in the pew in front of you, there is a Bible if you didn't bring one with you, and you can turn to page 1070 so that you can read along with me. Again, that's John 13, beginning in verse 31 through 35 on page 1070. And if you would, take a moment to pray with me. O oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I understand that it is a habit of mine and routine that you expect for the scripture to be read right at the beginning, but it will come in a minute, so you are going to have to sit with your Bible open on your lap a little bit longer than usual. You won't be in danger. You'll be okay. So for the past six years, seven years now, you've heard me say, you've heard it mentioned that here at First Christian Church of the Beaches, we celebrate the gospel. And you thought, that's great, Nathan. And maybe thought nothing else of it other than Pastor Nathan likes to say we celebrate the gospel. That sounds wonderful. We, we, we want to say that too. But what we haven't done, what I haven't done, is talk about what that actually means and how we even do that. What, what does it mean that we celebrate the gospel? How do we celebrate the gospel? And so last year in 2022, the body of elders got together and created a long-range planning team. And this was so that we could begin uh, coming up with goals and plans into the future. And it was filled with members from the congregation, and they would meet faithfully every week and, and discuss uh, long-range plans. It is, it is a, a committee meeting of Greg Nelson's dreams, right? I mean, it is weekly and it is intense. And, and so it's all future planning, but at the very first meeting, it comes to the attention of this group, discovered that we as a church have no stated mission and no stated vision, which you can imagine, if you're trying to do some long-range planning goals, can be a bit hard to do without a mission or a vision. It's essentially jumping in your boat and being told to go sailing without being told why or where. And so what we've done the last seven years is we've floated around in the seas, just happy to be there. But when you go sailing without a mission, without a vision, when you begin on these journeys and you don't have that, you end up sailing and floating around the sea until eventually you become shipwrecked. And so without a stated mission or vision, it was really hard for them to plan long range. So they began praying and discerning, sought counsel from pastors and from the body of elders. And last spring, what you have on the front of your bulletin today uh, was officially adopted through our staff and through our body of elders here at First Christian Church of the Beaches. And it's, and it's this, that our vision is to be gospel-centered people and families in the beaches community and beyond. And we will accomplish that by celebrating the gospel. And we will celebrate the gospel by loving everyone, growing in Christ, 
and going into the world. It's great. It, it's a wonderful mission and vision. They did tons of hard work to get there. And what I believe is that it really encapsulates and captures not only who we are, but who I believe God is instructing us and leading us to become. See, the thing with the vision and mission is it describes a little bit about us, but it more describes the journey we're all going to be heading on, and really it describes the journey for all of us Christians to be more loving, to be growing in Christ, and to be going into the world to share the very gospel that we claim to celebrate. Now, most times, a, a church can come up with a mission statement. Some of them you've seen, they're a paragraph long, and you're like, I have no chance of remembering that. I don't even remember anyone's telephone numbers anymore, right? If, if I lost my phone, I don't know who I'm going to call. Um, I don't even know how to call the Ghostbusters. And then the other thing, we don't want this to be an exercise in futility or all for vanity. Because if I were to just mention it to you today, put it on the cover of the bulletin, and then move on with preaching, well, you would think, well, that was nice. And in maybe three years, you would say, hey, whatever happened to that mission statement or that vision? How are we coming along with that? Tell you the truth, we'd all just be happy to be floating along in the sea again, because it's pretty easy to just float along to get along. Am I right? Yeah. So things are going to change. I know I just said the wrong word for a church. Pastor Gabe over here can attest to this. You never mention change out loud in church, right? Right? I mean, emails and phone calls are now coming my way. I fully accept responsibility for that. But things are changing, but, but not in a bad way, not in a dramatic way. Um, what's going to happen is so that that wasn't an exercise in futility, so that wasn't all done in vain, is... Every year, you're going to hear sermons about our mission and our vision, and we're going to go through it, and we're going to explain it, and we're going to remember who we're being called to be and what we're called to be about so we don't lose sight. Because if we don't aim for something, we will miss the goal 100% of the time. And so we'll have sermons, and then there will be newsletter articles, there will be updates, you will see uh, the long-range plan in Excel spreadsheets. Who here loves Excel spreadsheets? Oh, man, that's, hey, trustees, take notes. <laughs> We've got more Excel spreadsheets here. You'll see Excel spreadsheets, you'll see uh, plans, projects, things that are going to be moving along, and we will be 100% transparent. We will update you on not only the successes, but also the failures. And it is your right, your job, your help to call us out and be like, hey, when are y'all going to do this? It was supposed to happen in 2023, and here it is, 2025. I have heard nothing about it. Call us out, because the hope is that we are going to so over-communicate with you everything that's going on with this church and everything we're about and trying to become that you say, okay, pastor, can we talk about something else now? Like, how about those frogs, right? <laughs> and so, folks, we look at the vision and mission, and we say, that's cute, that's wonderful. But the truth is, like, everything that's in this, I promise you, as your pastor, 
comes from Scripture, directly from Scripture. None of this is just our wild ideas of who we think we need to be. It comes through prayer and discernment of Scripture in, in putting into 2023 words what Jesus has already called us into, simplifying it, making it easier for us to remember to, to be loving, growing, and going. And so we begin with the mission today. We begin with the first part, that we celebrate the gospel by loving everyone. And so now let us hear from the gospel of John there in chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. When he, the he is Judas, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus, in this moment, it's right after communion. They're located still in the upper room. Judas has now fleed and begun the betrayal process of Jesus. And so we have Jesus and his 11 disciples there and the others that were gathered in the upper room with them. And he gives a new commandment, which is to love one another just as he has loved us. And so it makes sense. That if we say we're going to celebrate the gospel and if we're going to work to becoming gospel-centered people and families in the beaches community and beyond, that we begin with this new commandment Jesus gave us there in the upper room to love everyone. And you may be saying, but pastor, it didn't say everyone. You're right. It didn't say in the gospel of John to love everyone. He said, love others as I have loved you. But Jesus also told us in another gospel to love our neighbor. And you're like, that's still not everyone. And you're right. But then there's that pesky Sermon on the Mount, right? And in there, Jesus tells us, if I recall correctly, that we are also to love our enemies. So neighbors, others, and enemies. And if that's not everyone for you, you have too many categories of people. <laughs> so Jesus calls us to love everyone and to love as he loved us. See, this isn't new. What, what we're saying here isn't revolutionary. It's not new words. It's not a new idea. It's thousands of years old. It comes directly from our Lord and Savior's mouth. Yet, here we are in the 21st century. 2023, and, and when we say that Christians are called to love and that God is love, it's come to mean something different than it did when Jesus first said it. And unfortunately, what it's become is something more bland and something more benign than what Jesus commanded. That 
we took this love that he called us to, because in the world and the culture today, that we can be called and labeled as hateful, we can be called and labeled as bigots, not only if we disagree, but if we refuse to affirm anything any person or group claims to believe is true. here to tell you, loving everyone does not mean we affirm everything. We have to be clear on that. Loving everyone does not mean we affirm everything. That's not love. To love but to avoid pointing out the truth. I'm not saying getting in an argument in an all-out brawl or a debate, but simply pointing out the truth, because for us, the truth is here located within the authority of Scripture, then we're lying. And it's the opposite of love. It's hateful. It's rude. It's, it's disrespectful. And quite frankly, it lacks basic compassion for one another. For when Jesus calls us to love others, you see, he doesn't give us a blank slate on how we're to go about loving others because our ideas about how we love others they're selfish if we were to lie on our own understanding and how we are to love others if we really look at it it's selfish because we want to take the easy way we look for the easiest path, the path of least resistance on almost everything we do. We go to the airport and we take the escalator and not the stairs. We'll even get on the people mover and walk on that before we will walk beside a moving people mover. But loving without telling the truth, because it's easier that way, because I don't want to get into some conflict, and I don't want to be uncomfortable in a conversation with someone. Well, you're just thinking about yourself. You're more worried about yourself than loving the other person. For you see, loving others is actually hard. It requires real work because relationships are messy. They're messy all the way around. They're, they're not easy. There's misunderstandings, miscommunications. We mess it up. We fumble because we're selfish, flesh-filled, sinful individuals, right? So we're going to mess it up. Of course we're going to mess it up. But that's where grace and grace abounds. For Jesus says to love others as he has loved us. And he's there in that upper room. And in the Gospel of John, he keeps talking in that upper room. And it's later in chapter 15, in verse 12, that Jesus brings some clarity to what he just said. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. When we begin to wonder, well, how do we love like Jesus loved us? He himself offers that clarity to lay our life down. Look around. Look around the room. 
Take good stock of the kind of people and who's here today. Now, I don't, I don't mean to sound harsh, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but quite frankly, we are a ragtag, smorgasbord group of sinners if I've ever seen one. Right? When, when Don said we're blessed by the best and guilty as the rest, it, it is the truth. And because we have no business, we have no business receiving the love from God that we have received through Jesus Christ. And we know it. Deep down, we all know it. Because as ragtag and smorgasbord group of sinners we are, as are varied and wide our sins that we carry in our life, that we hide in deep, dark places, and we refuse to talk about with those that are the closest to us. And it's because we know how we love others. Because if we hear about their sin, we're quick to judge and be judgmental and and bring in condemnation. And so we know if we're quick to do that, we're afraid others will do that for us. Because if you knew, if you knew the sins that I carry within myself and battle daily and said them out loud, I'm scared you wouldn't love me back. That's the truth we all carry. So we bottle up and refuse to be vulnerable with one another. If you knew what I was dealing with, you wouldn't want to be around me anymore. That's our fear. And so we go around doing the easy thing, saying we love someone, avoiding the truth. It gets uncomfortable because it's hard. Because it means we're going to have to hear some things, and instead of jumping to judgment and condemnation, we're going to have to move into encouragement. How do you be there for someone that you so disagree with? How do you love on someone that doesn't understand the truth as clear as maybe you're understanding it in that moment? Jesus walked with us. He walked with us, and he he cares for us. We see it with the disciples. They didn't understand half of what Jesus was doing or saying. They looked like bumbling fools walking around with him. There Jesus is, never leaving them or forsaking them, loving them, constantly pointing them towards the truth. And there it is, Jesus, our king. Jesus, our king, sitting at the right throne, right hand on the throne with God. And then he's born as an infant, humbly leaving his throne to come and live with us. Not born a man, not born a ruler within this world, not born with power and might, but born as a baby. Raised by a carpenter and his mom. Not of high esteem. And he goes on to live this life. The life we've lived where he's tempted. Just as we're tempted. We fall into the temptation. He didn't. A life where he's met with grief and sorrow. And feels and understands all of the grief and sorrow and pain we have gone through in our own lives. And yet he remains 
spotless, blameless, without sin. And he goes on to the cross to die. Not for himself. No, not for himself. He dies for us in our sins. For yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Paul writes, and this is proof of God's love for us. And along the way, between his birth and his death and between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, he spoke truth to us. He gave us wisdom and clarity. That he would say hard things. To go and sin no more. To teach us how to be gracious and caring. To care for the widowed and the orphan. To go and look out for the marginalized and the sick. To not be afraid of the world's and the culture's standards for what's right and proper, but to do things solely for the glory of God because we love him. And to care for those that no one else is looking out for. See, Jesus called his disciples out. And he called others out too. His interactions with Pharisees and Sadducees. He called them out, but never to condemn. Always to point them towards the light. The truth. So that they may see what is good and true. You see, we forget. We forget we live in a fallen world. And it's because we like to think more of ourselves than what we really are. For some of you, I'm sorry to burst your bubble today. We're not as good as we think we are, right? We're really not good people. The Bible tells us no one's good, not a single person. But we hold out this idea that I'm a good person. I do good things. There's other good people out there. I, I believe in, in the goodness of my fellow man within this world. But we live in a fallen world so much so that we often call darkness light. We often eat sand thinking it's water. And that's what Jesus would point out. He pointed out true light. A light and life that leads to life abundant and life eternal. A light that is not overcome by darkness, that is not confused with being good, but a light that is completely true. For to love like Jesus, and that's the call when we're loving others, when we're loving everyone, it's to love as Jesus has loved us. It's to point to the light. And it's to lay our life down for others. How do we do that? How do we point others to the light, to the truth? See, that's what we're afraid of in loving others is pointing them to the truth. How do we do this? It's going to be so uncomfortable, Pastor. Do you realize how awkward our next family meal is going to be if I have to do this? It's hard. 
but I'm not calling you to get into debates. Jesus isn't calling you to get into debates with others. Think of the rich young ruler that walks up to Jesus and goes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus just answers his questions, asks him a few more, and then ends up with, go sell everything you own and come follow me. And he walks away sad because he had many possessions, the scripture tells us. You don't hear Jesus getting into a debate with this young man, with this young ruler, and saying, look, you still don't understand? It's, and, and he didn't try and convince him in that moment. He just pointed him to the truth and let him move on. Paul gives great advice to Timothy. Some that I believe we all could use when pointing people to the light and to the truth. He tells them, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. In all purity. There's some great wisdom in that. And how so much respect is shown despite the awkward and uncomfortableness of those interactions. Younger men and women are not treated, are to be treated as sons and daughters where we lord things over them, but rather as younger brothers and younger sisters where we're just a little bit further up the road and we're like, hey, I've ridden a bike before. Let me help you ride your bike. And for older men and, and for older women, when we interact with them, we are to treat them with the same respect that God calls us to in the commandment to love and to honor our mother and father, to treat them as a beloved parent and to be encouraging. It's not argumentative. To be encouraging, not to debates. And then he tells us, he shows us to lay our life aside. And this is where we have to put our selfishness down. And that love that, that we think is loving of others, but really still has a bit of me tied into it, we have to lay that all the way down. Which means for some of us, there's people we avoid and, and refuse to interact with because, man, that looks like it's a lot of work. That's going to be hard. So we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and get messy. Because it's not the easy way. Because the path of Jesus is narrow. And it's hard. But I'll tell you this. Jesus is with you all of the way. And then for others, this this is some of us in here, we rescue people. We're rescuers. We always have someone with something going on that we have to help them out of their situation. If it weren't for us, they never would be able to get out of it. I'm telling you, it is your own selfish pride and desire that is running those motives. Because somehow deep within there, it is our identity as a rescuer. So we have to deal with that and be willing to not rescue everybody. 
and that becomes so hard. And it becomes even harder when you don't rescue someone and it ends with devastation. And you think, did I mess that up? have to trust the Lord through that process. You have to trust in the Lord in the midst of it. Because loving others is not a formula for every single person. Because people are different. As varied as we look in this room are the variedness of the problems we battle with the sin in our life and the problems we face and the struggles we go through. So how I love Marty is not how I love Greg, and how I love Greg is not how I love Cher, and how I love Cher is not how I love Reggie. It's not a formula to go through. It's different. It's one-on-one. It's relationships. It's caring for others in a way that they know you care. Because no one cares what you know until they know you care. hard. Loving one another is hard, and it's not always clear as we battle our own sinfulness, as we battle our own flesh. Paul says this. He writes to the church, and he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. For love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then I shall know, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen.